Welcome to the Thriving Forward podcast. Now to introduce your hosts. Hi, I'm Megan Laspinera. I'm the founder and executive director of Kids Thrive 585 Inc. and a pediatrician in Rochester, New York. And I'm Sarah Collins McGowan. I'm also a pediatrician here in Rochester, and I teach community health and advocacy to pediatric residents. In each episode, we will speak with people involved in good works and projects in the greater Rochester area. We hope that by introducing you to these inspirational people and their stories, you will be motivated to learn more about these amazing organizations in our region and the fabulous people who keep them working. Hi, everyone. We wanted to let you know that this interview was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic became widespread in the United States. We are now living through a time of anxiety, disruption to our daily lives, and uncertainty. We feel it is important to continue to lift up those whose work supports our community every day. As we move into and emerge out of the immediate health crisis posed by COVID-19, please remember that this pandemic will worsen the inequities our community already struggles with. The interviews we are sharing are with the people among us who will lead the way in addressing those inequities. Let them give you hope and inspiration. Hi, it's Megan. And this week on the Thriving Forward podcast, I'll be interviewing Jennifer Johnson, who currently works as the Director of Family and Community Outreach at Golisano Children's Hospital. She grew up outside of Boston and graduated from the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. She worked in television news in Rochester for 17 years before joining the team at Golisano Children's Hospital at Strong. In addition to her work for the hospital, she is a member of the Rochester Rotary, and she used to tutor every week at school number eight in the RCSD. She has served on the boards of the Dream Factory of Rochester, the Center for Disability Rights, the Verona Street Animal Society, and CASA of Rochester-Monroe County. She's run six half marathons and two full marathons, one of them for the Stroke Association. She also rode 62 and a half miles in the American Diabetes Association Tour de Cure. Jennifer was selected by the Rochester Business Journal for the 40 Under 40 class of 2016. She has received countless awards from community organizations for her leadership and relentless volunteerism. Thanks for joining me today, Jennifer. Good morning. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. I've heard about this podcast. I get to be on it. (laughs) Thank you so much. So our icebreaker question Uh is, tell us about something that you're into lately. It could be anything. I, I never, like, if you'd asked me this question a year ago, I never would have thought the words coming out of my mouth would be geocaching. Oh, cool. <laughs> but um, my neighbor one day said, uh, you know, we have kids the same age. He said, you want to go geocaching? And I was like, uh, say what? <laughs> but we went and it was so much fun. I have younger kids. And so just to be out and about and being together and taking on challenges. And sometimes we can bring the dog and the dog gets exercises. And we've learned some history about the town where we live. So again, I never would have thought geocaching would have been the answer, but I'm really enjoying it. Cool. Get you out of the house, learn new stuff. Exactly. Awesome. So you have taken on a new role in Strong. Mm -hmm. In fact, a new role was created for you. Mm -hmm. So do you want to sort of give us the background about what brought you here and why you're so passionate about helping connect families with resources. Sure. Um, uh, in 2011, I gave birth to a medically fragile child named Grace, and um, she was not expected to survive at all. So I always like to say that how lucky we were to have more than five hours, five days, five weeks with her, you know, five weeks probably was um, not expected even. So the fact that we almost got 17 months with her is a huge, huge victory. And I think sometimes people think, you know, your daughter passed away. Aren't you sad? And I said, but she had the opportunity to live. And I credit 
this hospital with it, just the incredible care that they gave her. And, and to be honest, I, I did some hospital shopping, if you will, when, sure. when other places, you know, I, uh, I'm a researcher and maybe not in the medical sense, but uh, journalists are researchers. And so I said, I want to, you know, give this child the best shot. And, um, everywhere we went, um, you know, no one could guarantee that she would survive. Um, but, I had to find a place that had expertise in this condition, that had all the right equipment and not just the right equipment, but really talented people to run that equipment. Talking like a um, ECMO. So when someone's doing the job of your heart and lungs, you want to make sure it's not their first day on the job. Sure. (laughs) Uh, And I I credit Patty Chess for building an incredible ECMO team here in Rochester and admit that we were able to stay here with with surgeons who had had done this stuff before. And um, so... I credit this place with, with so many successes, but it really opened my eyes to what it's like to be the parent of a medically fragile child. It's hard to be a parent anyway, right? It's the best (laughs) job, but it's a, it can be a tough job, but when you add on layers of, um, medical challenges in there, it's hard. And, I think medicine has led the way in terms of, terms of keeping kids alive, which is fantastic. A technical piece. Yes. And, and I, and I walk up and down the hallways here and I fangirl over so many people because (laughs) they've been instrumental in our story and so many other stories around town. And so they're, what they do is, is just incredible. Uh, but you know, we are used to older people, having a surgery or an injury or something and, and, and needing to go into the hospital and then coming out and needing care. We're, we're used to that, but I don't think we're as used to it for kids because again, medicine is leading the way now in terms of keeping these kids alive. But so many of the support structures, um, for, you know, once a child is stable and able to go home, um, I think it's sort of, um, little bit slower to evolve. Um, and so sort of caught in the middle are our families. Um, you know, they're exhausted probably after going through so much at the hospital, you know, sometimes, you know, months and, and then to come home and, and have to figure out life at home, sometimes with a lot of medical equipment, uh, medication, sometimes around the clock and, and trying to put those supports in place, uh, can be a challenge. And even finding those supports in the first place can be a challenge. So, uh, I experienced this myself and I sort of said, you know, I, have so many advantages in life. Um, I have a, a, a home that is uh, safe and warm and has food. I have um, a husband who is fantastically supportive. And, you know, we split this parenthood thing 50-50 for sure. You know, income, reliable transportation, and and still her care and then losing her uh, nearly broke me many times. I struggled. And so I just think, you know, you take away one of those supports, much less all of those supports for some families in our community. And I think, how are they supposed to do this? How are they supposed to get through this? How are the parents supposed to function? You know, and what does that mean for the care and outcome of that child? And so I I don't think, I don't think this has happened for um, a lack of someone not doing their job. I, I think it's um, it, it's a new arena. Again, kids are staying alive when maybe they didn't years ago. Uh, but in addition, you know, the people who know the needs very well are the families who are going through it. And quite honestly, I experienced this too. They are busy 
taking care of their kids. I remember when Grace was alive, I remember thinking, you know, my gosh, I wish I could change X, Y, or Z or tell someone in charge about X, Y, or Z. Um, And I said, I just don't have the time. I'm just trying to get through each day managing, you know, her care, raising another child, you know, our jobs. Oh, getting to the grocery store every once in a while, you know? And um, a few months after she died and the dust settled a little bit, I kind of had that aha moment of, you know, I have the time now and just began picking up the phone and reaching out to some folks here at the hospital or some of the other agencies that we worked at and just sort of said, hey, so much went right. But there was maybe some things that maybe could have been done a little bit better. And let's talk about those. And, um, you know, not that working moms have a ton of spare time, but I found myself doing that more and more in my spare time and and working on issues related to uh, medically complex and medically fragile children and the concept of bereavement and loss and looking at our society and how we don't necessarily do a good job of talking about it. So therefore, a lot of people who are grieving, um, you know, can't necessarily advocate for what they need. And um, being in the media, I've sort of been given a nice platform. And and I was realizing I was using more and more of that platform to talk about some of these issues. And I just had this long list of things that I still wanted to accomplish. And uh, when Dr. Brophy came to town and I heard sort of his approach to medicine, sort of this, in my opinion, you know, medicine doesn't exist in a vacuum. You know, you can't just drop everything. I mean, you can for a few days when need to, but when you have long-term care for a child, you know, life has to go on. And so his approach of medicine not existing in a vacuum, and let's make it realistic. Let's look at uh, the bigger picture, even including how do our patients get to our hospital? I mean, that's sort of the work that he's doing. And when I heard him talk, I thought, oh my gosh, I think he'd be receptive to a lot of my ideas. So I went to him and said, I want to work with you. And, and this is what I want to do. And he's been amazingly supportive in supporting what I want to do and, and helping make some of those things happen. Which piece of this partnership with the Children's Hospital are you hoping to have the biggest impact? Is it helping to get children, medically fragile children ready to go home with all of their supports? Is it changing the way that we think about sending them home? What is the the big piece that's really driving you and that you hope makes a big difference at this point? Uh, the neat thing is, is this is a new job. So I, I get to sort of help define it. Right. And, and I sort of say that it, it's sort of, it's, it's not public relations. It's not marketing. It's not advancement. It's not government relations. It's not social work because I have no, no, no degree in social work. Um, but you know, it's sort of some of those elements, put them all in a washing machine and you sort of get my job. So, um, you know, I like being able to, you know, help tell amazing stories that come out of here. I like to, you know, bring people in power in here and talk about what our needs are and how we can, uh, make policies that, that, are based on science, you know, which is, which nice, nice connections to make. Um, but one thing I am super excited about, um, and I was able to launch within a few months of coming here is the, uh, family connection program. And that is really trying to harness the voices of families like mine who have been, you know, find themselves here, you know, caring for a medically fragile or medically complex child and and trying to tap into their insight of, you know, what it's really like when a G-tube comes out at 2.30 in the morning, <laughs> you know, what it's really like, you know, to, to 
organize all the different people who come into your home to provide help for your child. Uh, and so uh, we launched the Family Connection Program in January. And um, I mean, I really, I feel like sky's the limit for things that we can accomplish together on that. But we started with four focuses uh, and that is uh, one in our advancement piece. So looking for more families who are so proud of their journeys here and, you know, really want to sing the praises of the people who help them. So um, allowing more families to publicly tell their stories and, and thank our donors and, and, you know, go to all the things that we want to tell our story at. Um we are connecting our families with our quality improvement team. So, um, you know, if there was um, an infection or some sort or um, uh, an extubation that didn't really need to happen, let, let's let's study those and, and let's bring down the statistics as with parents as our partners on that. Um, we are working on growing our bereavement program. It's not really something that I like to say, growing our bereavement program, but that is a reality um, for a lot of families in our community. And, um, you know, at a time that you would like someone to, you know, come and put out a helping hand, um, that's one of those times when your world's been turned upside down. And so, you know, how can, how can we help these families and, and make Maybe help them by introducing them to people who've been there before, you know. Um, and so Liz Conroe is uh, new to the hospital as well and uh, is uh, a mom who has lost similar to myself. And so she's heading up that and I'm working with her on that. And I'm so proud of her and can't wait to, to partner with her more on that. So that's the third piece. And then the fourth piece is, is one that um, we're we're trying to figure out, and that is um, we have parent advisory councils and, and bringing families closer into some of our decision makers here at the hospital. But I want to somehow figure out how to um, bring families who've been through an experience three, four, five years ago to the families who are going through that now. Um, those people speak the same language. Um, you know, I have uh, incredible friends who were friends with me before all of this, and I'm, I'm still friends with now, and they, they support as best they can. Uh, but on certain issues, you want another hospital family who speaks your same language, who can understand why uh, a victory is a victory. And you don't want to have, you know, 10 minutes setting up of why that's, that's a big thing. Um, and so I, I'm trying to figure out a way to connect these families to not only help them through their time here at the hospital, uh, but again, who knows life at home in these situations better than the families who've been there, you know, how to, uh, you know, set up a hospital bed, you know, in your house, how to track medi medications around the clock. Um, and so, uh, I think if it were easy, we would have a solution. Um, you know, we need to maintain people's privacy, right? It's one of the things that's very important in, in, in healthcare. So, you know, how can we uh, facilitate relationships with while honoring privacy? And um, I've been talking with some other people around the country who do sort of a similar job that I do. And that's sort of the, the big question of how do we harness the experience and insight of the families who've been there and uh, make a, a way that is... Um, not too tedious for families to connect because everyone's busy, right? Sure. <laughs> so without too much, you know, having to sign your life away and, and different um, paperwork to allow this to happen, but also uh, something that's going to be convenient for both families as well. So it, I'm excited about the potential for it, just trying to figure out a way to make it best happen. And at the same time, connecting our, our families to uh, the resources that are out there. Our, our community is so rich in resources, but sometimes 
you know, if you are, have been in the hospital again, you're, you, um, you're, you're coming through the tornado really. Um, and so sometimes you got to study yourself again before you can go out looking for resources. And so, uh, sometimes you sort of feel like you, you fall off a resources cliff when you leave here and you are, um, treading water for a little bit and that can be a really tough time. And so, um, you know, how can we get these families connected to the resources in our community again with, um, making sure privacy is respected and, you know, keeping our hospital in a, um, you know, a, a quiet manner. So it's not constant resources coming at your face. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think one of the benefits of being in the hospital is you get this sort of life suspension piece where a lot of needs are met, a lot of things are there. And then certainly I have families that I've taken care of who, when they leave and you take away all of that suspension of services, now you've got to try to reintegrate into what is real life. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. So working with, you know, some of our families in the family connection program. So, you know, hey, what are some of your you know top five resources? And, uh, you know, maybe that list can live on Kids Thrive 585. Who knows? Sure can. We'll anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. What um, is something that you feel you could, a piece of advice you could give to somebody who wants to do similar work? Um. I think I had to make sure it was the right time. Sure. Um, I, I, this was a career change for me. And so um, I was happy in my other job. But of course, we all know plenty of people who aren't happy in their current jobs. And and, and they're looking for other jobs just to maybe get out of that first job. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I would say... Um, People would say to me oftentimes, you know, why don't you go work at the hospital? But there was never something that really combined all the things that I wanted to do. So it, it was really before I went to Dr. Brophy, I kind of asked myself, what is it that I bring to the table? What do I want to do? Uh, and then created a job based on that. And I'm lucky that it fit what he was was looking for. What he was passionate about. Um, but I, I think, again, not um, really asking yourself, what does your heart tell you that you want to do and, and do some thinking on that and, and let, let it, I think we're sometimes afraid to, we want to see where we fit into what exists and not look inside and say, what is it that I want to do? And, and how can that take shape? So it's some, a lot of brainstorming that I did, um, and making sure that it did fit a need. Uh, but that process didn't happen overnight. Well, and I think too, if you're happy in your current role, that can make change harder because mm -hmm. making a transition when you're already satisfied and things are going okay is, I think, a bigger leap than if you're unhappy. Sometimes it's easier to be like, okay, see you guys later. Right, right. I had uh, two pretty cool choices in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So tell me some of your favorite things about Rochester. Favorite things about Rochester. Well, I'm not from here originally, so um, I would say my husband because he's from here. Uh -huh, good. <laughs> um, and, you know, we uh, I had an opportunity to go work in Boston at one point and, you know, we, we kind of batted around for a little bit. I said, you know what? I like it here. It's just I actually I remember I had had a job offer and I was pumping gas at a gas station and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And so I'm, someone drove by and rolled out the window and said, hey, Jennifer. And I was like, oh, 
yeah, I guess, I guess this is home. <laughs> uh, you know, like growing up in Boston, the commute was a bear, you know, home prices were crazy. Um, I happened to live on a body of water, which I would never be able to afford <laughs> back in Boston. Um, and, and I would say my family here, my husband is one of uh, four and we're lucky that all my, uh, brothers-in-law are here with their sister, with their wives, my sisters-in-law and the kids. And I just, I love having a family here. It's, it's awesome. So if people want to learn more about you or the work that you're doing at the hospital or just to connect with you, maybe some families of children, what's the best way for them to reach out? I am working. One of my tasks is to update part of our, our website. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe this is a reminder that I need to do that. Um, but I am on Twitter. I am at JJ underscore Rochester. Uh, I still have a, a professional Facebook page, which is Jennifer Johnson, but there's so many of us. So, um, good luck finding that one. Sure. <laughs> um, or, you know, there's my email of course as well. And that is, uh, Jennifer underscore Johnson at urmc.rochester.edu. Good. So we will try to get hopefully some families to reach out and, and be a part of the great change that you're making here. I love it. And partnering with you some more as well. Your work is Awesome. Oh, thank you so it's much. Been fun getting to know you through all this. Thank you. And have a lovely rest of your day. Thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thriving Forward podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Kids Thrive 585 Inc., the Huckelman Center at the University of Rochester, and Rochester Regional Health. To learn more about today's guest, head over to kidsthrive585.org and click on the podcast link. See you next time. The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of their employers or funders.